0: Hope you're experiencing the joy of the season. Um, We've been in a series called POV, Point of View. Basically taking gospel narratives, taking uh, little snapshots from Matthew and from Luke and, and some other scriptures and seeing what other people's point of view was that were actually there about and around the birth of Jesus Christ. So you remember we looked at Simeon and Anna and we looked at... Um, the political leaders of the day and the shepherds and the wise men and, and all of these different perspectives, kind of like what is going on. And today we're going to end our series kind of officially and look at God's perspective. No small thing, no small thing to try to encapsulate the perspective of God of why God would reach down to man there's a lot of different ways that we can look at it. We can look at it kind of from the from the historical perspective, kind of a, an overarching view and go all the way back to the beginning of, of recorded history of time, Adam and Eve, and, and see where God provided a path and gave a, a promise, gave an inkling that through the seed of the woman, this the whole world would be reconciled and redeemed. We can start there. We can move all the way through and look at, at Noah and, and Abraham and David. And, and we can look at all these different prophecies. We can, we can examine his story and, and, and see God's faithfulness, his promise, his covenant unfolding. We can look at it eternally. We can look at it in the moment like we've been doing each week, you know, week on week, and seeing these things we can also look at it, you know, well, God's three persons, so where, where is God, the Trinity, active and involved in, in kind of what's going on around the birth of Christ? And so I'm trying to mix and match a lot of different pieces of the puzzle, and, and I hope that it's a blessing to you um, this morning as we, as we move forward. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Dan and basically just kind of help people on their spiritual journeys, um, uh, meet with people for coffee, talk about where they're at, where where they are in their faith. Um, Sometimes I get the privilege of teaching, and uh, most of the time I'm doing a lot of background stuff. Um, So I'm glad that that you've chosen to join us this morning as we continue in in God's Word. You can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, or you can look on your fridge folds and you kind of see what's going on there. But we started out several weeks ago. We kicked off with, with Simeon and Anna. And if you remember from when we talked about Simeon, Simeon was a man, just kind of a, he was a normal guy. He was your everyday guy, an average man. He wasn't, he wasn't a priest. He was just a man who loved God, who sought after God. And the, and the words that were in those verses specifically said things like this, that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And that day that he met Mary and Joseph, and, and the Christ child, that the, it says that the Holy Spirit led Simeon to the temple that day. This is part of the interaction with God, interaction of God. And if anything, uh, as we look at this point of sacrifice today, as we look at God's perspective and see sacrifice, I want you to see an interactive God I want you to see the interactive God who is faithful and true and dealing not just with us as a people, but responding and interacting and, and interested in us as individuals. Simeon, this man led to the temple by the Holy Spirit, has this amazing opportunity to, to meet Jesus. And then he, what does he say, remember? Now I can die. <laughs> Like, all right, I, I, it's been fulfilled. The promise is good. Uh, thanks, God. I'm old. I'm a little weary of this world. Go ahead, take me. I'm ready. You know, now I can die. Maybe some of us feel that way. Then you had Anna, and Anna kind of sees what's going on, and she comes over and begins to just join in the party and give thanks to God. Now, Anna was this woman. She's 84 years old, an 84-year-old widow who for the last at least 60 years— has been in the temple day and night, communing with God, fellowshipping with God. In this deep relationship that she has with God through prayer and through fasting, she comes over and begins to join in the glory, join in the thanksgiving. And we see God, the Holy Spirit, also working We looked at the political leaders, Quirinius and Caesar Augustus and Herod. Pastor Eric did a great job with that. And remember, well, where's God active in this? Those people didn't really seem to be honoring God. They didn't seem to be, you know, like really proactive in in making God's will happen for his people and blessing his people. They were actually pretty much a little bit more interested in, in their own power, in measuring that up and expressing that. But we have this promise, this truth from Romans chapter 13 that tells us that all authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. And so it, it doesn't really matter whether, you know, uh, you're, you're for Gingrich or, or Obama or Ron Paul. Or it, it, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter whether you liked Caesar Augustus or whether Herod was your homeboy or anything else. It, it didn't matter because as a follower, as a believer, as someone that knew and trusted God, My life is safe in his hands. It doesn't really matter what the political powers are doing, even though very soon after they would begin persecuting people who were following God. Then we saw Mary and Joseph, you know, and and Mary's response is just a teenage girl, maybe 14 or 15 years old, and and just living this life of faith, and this angel shows up, you know, and, and God Remember, angels are just messengers, right? They're they're just there to deliver the voice of God, the revelation of God. And so she hears the revelation, hey, Mary, you're gonna have a baby, but I've never known a man. That's right, and you won't until your child is born because your child is gonna be the son of God. It's gonna be a miracle. It's gonna be wonderful. It's gonna be something that is out of the ordinary. It's gonna be something that's unique. And she says, hey, whatever God wants, all right, I'm, I'm all in. It's a little scary to me. I don't know what that means, but, but I'm glad that God has chosen me to be able to play a part in his story. The story of God always unfolds and always involves anyone who is willing to join in the hope and the promise and experience the joy. Simply anyone who is willing to play a part in the story of God. We saw Mary and Joseph, God sending angels. We saw the shepherds watching their fields by night. Remember, and an angel, an angel comes, you know, all of a sudden this glowing man pops up, you know, right there. And there he is. And hey, guess what? I got some good news. Oh, well, don't be afraid. I got some good news for you. Um, there, there's going to be the Messiah. He's born today in the city of David. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to find him. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, my goodness. We're going to look at that a little bit more in depth. God sends his his angels, he sends his revelation to the lost, to the marginalized, the people that are on the edge, on the fringes, not wanting to leave them out. And then we saw the wise men, these men who are not followers of God, per se. They're not God's chosen people, they're not Jews. They're from a far eastern land and yet they're seeking. They want to know what truth is. They want to find revelation. And God says, oh... I've got a revelation for you. Here, follow this star, and they follow it many, many, many miles, probably for months or even years of travel, some people speculate, to get to the Messiah. God wants to speak to his people. And truly for us, I mean, if God didn't speak, then we would not know what we need to know if god didn't speak if god did not give us revelation we would not know what we need to know we can observe sure we can go around the, the world and look at all of the beauty of creation and Romans 1 tells us that, you know, the, the Godhead is evident in creation. The fact that there is a God, all you have to do is walk outside and see the magnificence, to see the, the creativity uh, and, and, and different kinds of design, to see the order and to know that there is a creator, that there is someone who has made this. This intricate design, this interdependent, complex woven together systems, it's an amazing thing. And yet, in all of our observation, we can't have a personal relationship with that person, with that creator, with God, unless, unless God, unless God provides a way of salvation. And this is really kind of the beginning hints of of what happens here with, with God's perspective. Because God tells us in his word in Isaiah chapter 43 and Hosea chapter 13, he says, the only salvation comes from God. Salvation only comes from God. And certainly in our day and age especially, we see many different options for salvation, many different options for our hope, many different options to to rescue us or to equip us and to to build us up to try to to be better people, self-help books, on and on and on. Doesn't it seem odd that there's always new self help books coming out? Why don't the old ones work? It's, it's, we have all of these options for salvation, and then God says, Nope, it's definitive. Here it is. I am the only one who can offer you salvation. And in fact, He, he rescues us from ourselves, He rescues us from our observations. You go outside and you begin to see all the order and the creativity and all of these wonderful things. And then you also see the things that are out of control. You also see the things, the disaster and the destruction. And why would, why would God do this? And our logical minds, our understanding, because of the way that we relate to each other, is that when I do something wrong, I get punished. We do it in our relationships all the time. Someone wrongs us, and instead of giving forgiveness unconditionally, instead of sharing love unconditionally, instead of living out, you know, unprovocable unconditional love, we get provoked. And we give people what they deserve, and sometimes a lot worse. That's all we know. And so as we observe, that invades our perspective of who God is, and God says, no, that's, that's not it. It's not about, it's not about fear. And people who have not experienced the revelation of God live in fear. People who have not experienced the revelation of God live in fear of losing, of losing life, of losing means, of losing loves. Enter God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ. God's most outrageous, his most blatant, his most radical, his most awesome revelation of himself. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 and just take a little glimpse back into the shepherd's narrative. So follow along with me. The night that Jesus was born, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined in a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And remember, the angels are just messengers. They're just here to deliver the story of God, to speak the words that God wants us to hear. And it starts out with don't be afraid. I, I don't think that this is just circumstantial. Certainly he was addressing the fear. You know, the, shepherd, the shepherds are standing there and the glowing man appears and starts speaking these words, you know, and then the, the all of heaven opens up on God's mile-high IMAX screen and full surround sound, it just, they just pump out this chorus of glory to God in the highest, goodwill towards men, peace on earth, peace to the people with whom God is pleased. I'm sure it, they're in awe, they're terrified. But, it, but it's not just circumstantial that God says, don't be afraid through this angel because three, exactly 365 times in God's word, he tells us some form of fear not. Some form of you do not have to be afraid. My presence, my glory is not meant to terrify you. My power, my infiniteness, I am almighty God, but I am not here to limit you with my power. I am here to give you my power. I'm not here to bring about fear. I'm here to bring about your purpose, your design. One of the greatest gifts I want to give my children is the fear not to be paralyzed, is the... the, ability not to be paralyzed by fear I look around me and I see so many people in battle with fear myself at times just struggling and wallowing and life seems to be very dangerous and the world seems to be a very dangerous place but in order to give this gift to my children it isn't going to come from their security and my love from them yes that's a part of it that isn't an unending source it isn't going to come from, hey, you're, you're great, you're wonderful, and just building up their self-confidence. It isn't going to come from my ability to provide for them. The only way that my children, the only way I'm going to be able to give my children the gift of not being paralyzed by fear is for them to be able to encounter this good news, the source of this good news, the fact that, that our lives are safe in God's hands, presently and also eternally, and that if we seek Him, we will have the power to overcome that fear. God tells us in His Word in 1 John chapter 4, He says, If you have fear, then you have not encountered perfect love, for perfect love removes all fear. That is a gift I want to give my children. That is a gift I want them to experience and to see me experiencing that I'm not afraid, that I am not going to fear, that I'm going to embrace the gospel, the good news. Say this with me, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's God's point of view? That we need salvation. What's God's point of view? That he is willing to commune with us as he did with Simeon and Anna by his Holy Spirit. That he's willing to to give us revelation because for those of us that are seeking truth, he wants us to find it. And this verse tells us that God the Father gave. God the Father gave his son. So here he is. But you have to remember, all right, the, the Trinity, each part is, is perfectly equal. Each one of the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God is looking at, at, at the course of history, and he's looking at his plan, and he's looking at his purpose, and God the Father says, I am going to send my son, I am going to give my son to be able to build a relationship because of his faithfulness, because he is the only one that can bring salvation. God gave his only son. But a lot of times I think maybe we think about it like maybe Jesus was voted off the island. Maybe it was just kind of like, you know, hey, we're democratic here, and, um, you know, God and the Holy Spirit just teamed up on Jesus and said, all right, man. Maybe Jesus drew the short straw. Maybe Jesus and and Holy Spirit and, and Father God, they were all playing truth or dare, and Jesus is like, hey, I'm the truth already. What the heck? I'll take the dare. You know, let's go. I don't think that's exactly what it was. Because God, the Father, didn't just send his son. Jesus came. He didn't draw back. He didn't pick the short straw. He came on his own because he was the only one worthy to make the sacrifice. And so he came as a sacrifice. Revelation 20 gives us some amazing insight into that. And here he emptied himself. Here he got up off of the throne of heaven, sitting in power and majesty and receiving glory and honor, everything that he deserves, having created everything, having made everything. And he says, I am going to empty myself. And this is how he did it, Philippians chapter two. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Though he was God. 100% God, fully God, existing in the Trinity. The Trinity exists in perfect unity, perfect harmony, a perfect dance of power and submission, perfect balance completely sovereign individually and uniquely working together as God. But the son laid down his infiniteness so that he could be encapsulated in flesh and put into a specific time. He became like us so that we could become like him. See, our purpose was in jeopardy. God created Adam and Eve, and, and, and he created them for, for un, undivided, unbroken fellowship with him, even as he has created us, for unbroken fellowship with God. And yet our purpose is in jeopardy, because now all of a the sudden there is broken fellowship. Now all of a the sudden there, there is not a way for us to have fellowship with God. And so a plan formed that was formed that was before the foundations of the world the son humbles himself to our level and he adds humanity to his being still fully god and yet he adds humanity and becomes also fully man he came as a servant as a helpless babe He put on flesh so that we could have access to his spirit inside of us. He came as a helpless child, completely dependent upon Mary's care. This is Elijah, the only begotten son of Dan. (laughs) Practicing his kung fu. What's up? A helpless child. And for any of you that have seen or held in your arms an infant, a newborn, looking into those dark eyes, knowing the slightest twitch, the slightest movement, the slightest impact, the frailty, the potential for disaster that exists right there. God, why did you give me one of these things? <laughs> Completely irresponsible to be able to walk out of a hospital with a baby, you know, like your first time. It's just like, no, no. But, but Mary and Joseph embraced the call of God, stepped into God's call on their life, it, it heard his, his design and said yes or willing, and God puts himself in this position of dependency. Completely powerless to do anything except make people ooh and ah. He took a common name, Yeshua, Joshua, like Mr. Smith. I mean, that completely normal. He was born to a teenage girl in an average family. He was born in a hillbilly town, Podunk, Nazareth, where the running joke of the day, you can find it in the Bible, was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Here he was. And this is the weird part to me. He made his own body, and yet Isaiah tells us that he had no form or comeliness that we should desire him. He wasn't appealing. I mean, he could have looked like this. (laughs) Fabio Jesus. I think he would have had a lot more followers, especially from women. Or maybe a more culturally current, a little, you know, step out of the 80s and into... oh. All right, guys, I got some for you too, you know. <laughs> Arr, there's the Jesus I can follow. But he didn't try to appeal to us. He didn't try to, to ooh and, and ah and woo us with some manufactured human version of beauty. I want to show you what true beauty is. I want to give myself. I want to show you what true beauty is. I want to give the greatest sacrifice. I want to give you everything that you need because I'm the only one that can give it to you. He became like us so that we could become like him. Fully man and still always fully God. Colossians Gives us some more insight into this. Several years ago, I was I went to this David Crowder show uh, over at the Civic Center, and the opening band was called Hyperstatic Union. And I was like, "Man, that sounds awesome!" For some reason, it just kind of rang a bell with me, and they were this amazing fusion of like funk and rock and roll, and um, incredible timing and unity with each other. But I, what is hyperstatic union? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand. And as I looked it up, um, it continued to ring a bell with me because the, the, the term, the phrase hyperstatic union is, is this image of fully God and fully man. It's the image of the incarnation. It's the image of God putting on flesh to dwell amongst us, to become Emmanuel. And this is how, how Paul writes about this to the church that was at Colossae. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. This is the icon that Pastor Mark was talking about a few weeks ago. The image bearer of God. Isaiah 9 talks about it. We know the verses in his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, on and on. Wonderful stands alone. It's not an adjective describing Counselor. It stands alone. It's the word Miracle wonderful thing, this miracle, and this is what it's talking about. The miracle of of a man who is fully man and fully God. The miracle of a God who becomes fully man so that we might be able to know him. He always has been and always will be our only hope. He added flesh to his nature so that we would know that he can empathize with us. So we can know that we Everything that that we have been through, everything that we have struggled with, everything that we have to overcome, he also faced and overcame it. Hebrews puts it this way He said, Jesus, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of his people. Since he himself had gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. This high priest of of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet without sin. So let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God. There will we receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Why, Jesus? Because from God's point of view, we need salvation. We need a Savior. And this is the only way for us to even have the opportunity to begin finding our purpose. This is the only way for us to have the opportunity to be able to know God fully, even as we are fully known. He came to show us that salvation is a lifestyle. And so, Emmanuel. This is where it becomes a little bit more individual, where it becomes a little bit more personal. Because God didn't just come for his people. He didn't just come for us as a group. He came for us because he loves you. Colossians 1:19 says for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself Matthew 1 says Luke look the virgin will conceive a child she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us The story of Christ isn't something that was just confined it didn't just happen at a particular season or at a particular in a particular century it's a story that is unfolded throughout God's story revealed to whoever would take joy in it revealed to whoever would acknowledge the promise of God and desire it it's the story of his promise to make a way for us to know him and he has been forever faithful and long suffering in being able to accomplish his will. So what's God's point of view on Jesus? Jesus' birth basically is I want to show you who I am. I want to share myself with you. And I want to save you from yourself. Well, this whole journey we've been kind of asking in the question, all right, well, what is your point of view? What's your point of view on the birth of Jesus Christ? What's your point of view on salvation? What is it that you believe that you need? Where where has God been faithful to you? Or where do you wrestle with where you would call God unfaithful? Where has God been unfaithful to you? Was it when your father died? Or when your child died? Was it when your spouse abandoned you? Was it when you couldn't get a job? Was it when you couldn't beat the addiction? Or was it when people who called themselves Christ-like caused you pain? Truly, that that is the deepest cry. Deep pain always cries out, why have you forsaken me? It's the same cry that Jesus gave on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? God... I know you're faithful. And we have a Savior who has wrestled with that temptation and overcome it. Who has experienced conquering death and given us the ability to conquer death. And because of that, God gives us the invitation. It's not just that God so loved the world that he gave, but God so loved the world that he came. And he extended to us an invitation, an invitation for a relationship, an invitation to create, an invitation to mold and shape the world around us with love and grace and with whatever tools else that he has given you, with with an artist's pen or with the voice of an angel or with a pair of hedge clippers, whatever it is, to mold and shape and to bring God glory. It's an invitation for us by the power of God to stop ignoring the evil around us to stop overthinking the way that we're going to respond to it, to stop complaining about our lack of resources, to start asking, what is the next God-honoring thing that I can do? And to start now and to continue, because God is with us. Salvation is a lifestyle. Jesus put on flesh so that we could become like him so that we could have his spirit. He became like us, so that we could become like him. That's God's point of view. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you so much, Lord, that you sacrificed everything, that you gave us everything that we could possibly need. And wherever we are in, the, in our headspace with that, Lord, wherever we are in our, our acknowledgement of salvation, in our daily dependency on our, in our lifestyle of salvation, of letting you live through us, of you being God with us. Lord, I pray that that today, right now, in this moment, that we would take one more step further. Father, that you would give us the faith that we need, the faith that that would honor you, the ability to glorify you, to be able to, the ability to respond like Simeon and Anna and partake in your story and give you thanks and give you glory for your faithfulness. You are our great God. Lord, we thank you that you became like us so that we, became, we could become like you. And we ask, the Lord, that you would stir up, that you would inspire that you would bring forth your will in our lives and that as we raise our voices as a community that our passion for you, that our love for you would increase and that you would be glorified. In the strong name of Jesus we pray, amen. (laughs)